Here's my conversation with Kyle Shevlin. Kyle is a software developer specializing in JavaScript and React, a writer and a teacher. He's the creator of several egghead courses on topics ranging from functional programming to data structures and algorithms. In this conversation, we talk about a variety of topics, including learning how to code, getting into functional programming, and computer science. Hope you enjoy the episode. Kyle, thanks for being here. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> thanks for inviting me, Madison. Excited to chat with you. Yeah, so am I. I actually feel like things are coming full circle because I remember you were the first person who ever invited me on a podcast. Um, and I was so excited. It was like years ago now. Um, it was a great experience. And um, yeah, I just felt really thankful for that experience. And it was so exciting to me to be have someone invite me on to speak. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember that quite well. I remember Brian reaching out to me and telling me like, you have to get Madison on your podcast. She's got a great story. And sure enough, you did. And uh, I'm really proud of what you've done over the last few years. It's been pretty cool to watch you go from the start of your career to where you are now. Thank you. Yeah. Shout out to Brian Holtz. I remember I went to a front end masters live recording too. And then he also shouted out our episode and I was like, so starstruck at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like <laughs> some of my favorite podcasters and people. So cool. <laughs> uh, Texas small world. Uh, once you get to know a few, some, a few people, you start to realize you, you have quick connections to quite a lot of people. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is quite tiny. It's funny how everyone knows each other. Um, and it seems like your reputation can get around really quick, um, which is for a, better for worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to kind of start back at the beginning. And I want to talk to you about like, how did you first get interested in coding? Yeah, sure. Um, I mentioned this a little bit on my blog. I'll give you a, a link to share in your show notes after afterwards when we're done. Um, but my coding journey is kind of interesting. So I started coding while I was in seminary. Uh, people who follow me on Twitter or know my story might know that uh, I earned a master's of theology. There was a time in my life where I was a pastor and uh, I was working for the church. And while I was in seminary, I also kind of had this side thing where I was a musician. Uh, I was a worship pastor, but my music was secular and I was playing shows around Los Angeles where I was living at the time. And uh, I kind of just, it's like an amalgamation of all these things. One day a friend just posted a random link to code Academy. I'm the kind of person, you know, with, with my ADHD and other things, I just kind of clicked it randomly and then just dove in. And then I realized like, Oh, I'm learning enough HTML and CSS from doing this random course thing that I'm enjoying that I can probably make some of the websites I need to, to promote my music because I'm too poor to afford to pay anyone else to do it. Um, and so I kind of went down that path. I eventually like made my own like WordPress theme at the time, which was like way out of my league. I still to this day couldn't tell you what the PHP functions were doing. I was just like, <laughs> I was learning early on how to Google and get stuff done, I guess. But um, then a few years went by, my degree finished. Uh, my wife and I, well, we got married. We weren't married when uh, all this began, but we got married. We moved up here to Portland where I'm living now. And when we moved up here, I was still trying to find a pastor position, but essentially my theology had been moving too far left to easily be hired. I used to joke like conservative churches have 
much more money than than non-conservative churches. But um, luck would have it that this is everything's just random. Like this is just random. If anyone takes from my story, it's just random. I <laughs> randomly met someone who asked my interest. I'm like, yeah, I do these things. I'm, I'm a, a pastor looking for work. I also have enjoyed learning coding. They're like, oh, I know a dev. And they said, go get coffee with this dev. Uh, I go get coffee with the person and uh, I show them like a kind of a portfolio of what I had. And they look through and they just like looked at it and they kind of looked at me and they look back and they look back at me and they're like, Kyle, go get a fucking job. Like, it's like, like they were just like, you're clearly good enough to do this. And literally up to that moment, I had no, like, I had never even thought of like trying to code as a career. It wasn't even a gatekeeping thing. It was just like, I didn't go to school for this. This isn't what I spent all this time and money on. Like, well, this is just like a fun thing for me. And uh, sure enough, they were right. It, you know, in less than two months, I landed my first job. Uh, this was November of 2013. And kind of the rest is history, as they say, because I've, I've been tweeting and, and blogging about it since. So, yeah. It was just your fun hobby, pretty much. So you were just building stuff all the time for fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when it was like, it was this weird thing that I did. It was a habit. So, you know, while I was in grad school, I only, I, I had like three odd end jobs I was trying to do to get, get like pay the bills and get stuff done while I was waiting for my wife to graduate and waiting to move on. And so every morning I had this habit, I'd get up, I'd make our French press of coffee. I'm holding my current coffee (laughs) mug up to the camera. Just for the people listening, it says, uh, uh, it's got this really angry bear on it. And it says, that's what I do. I drink coffee. I hate people. And I know things it's like, (laughs) it's like my, um, I don't know. I just really resonate with that feeling sometimes. But anyways, uh, what I would do is I'd make my French press coffee in the morning and I would go find some random tutorial or a a site to copy. Like at the time, uh, there was a woman, Jennifer DeWalt. You can probably still find her website, 180 websites in 180 days where she taught herself how to code. And I would, if I didn't have inspiration, I would just go try and copy one of the things she tried to do, learn it from scratch. Like this was back in the days before React. So you would do like uh, um, view page source, you know, like you people don't do that anymore because there's hardly any page source. You have a, a uglified JavaScript file and just one div that you put everything into. But at the time I could do that and, you know, I could kind of reverse engineer how they made this jQuery thing or that thing. And yeah, you know, you do it for a year and a half and all of a sudden you gain a bunch of skills. Like it, yeah. it's crazy how um, it's wild how, um, you can accumulate skills if you just do something regularly. Yeah. I think there's some people I've talked to who are learning how to code and, um, they kind of hear this advice of go and, you know, look at a site or an app, even a small one and try to copy that. But I think they get very overwhelmed with, you know, you have your empty text editor and then you look at this cool app and you feel super overwhelmed. Like, where do you think they should get started when they're kind of faced with that dilemma of looking at an app and wanting to copy it or build it without maybe looking at too much of the tutorial code, right? You don't really want to just follow the tutorial. You kind of want to, how can I re-engineer this on my own? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think it actually just applies to how 
uh, you'll approach your dev work throughout your career because, I mean, heck, I've been doing this now for uh, uh, nine years or so professionally uh, almost. And um, I still will be given a task, like a big task, and I get overwhelmed. Like I look at it, I'm like, this is huge. Uh, you know, and eventually you have to kind of get over that initial gut feeling of maybe lack of knowledge, uh, lack of, um, expertise in a particular thing or whatever. And you just have to break it down into whatever small parts you can that you know how to move forward with. So like, I don't know, I'll give a, I'll give a random example. Like, let's say someone out there is trying to, um, clone Twitter's timeline. Right. Like you don't go and try and figure out like, OK, how do I uh, get all this page all at once done? You know, you break it down like, OK, I can make a nav. Uh, that's pretty simple. Uh, I could make um, I don't know, maybe today I'm just going to focus on the search like it doesn't even have to function. Can I make it styled the way it should? Um, OK, I am going to break down the actual tweet itself. Well, what about the avatar is one little thing. What about the buttons at the bottom is another thing. What about the context menu that pops up when you hit the, um, the share button or can you do the like animation? Can you have fun with that? Like, like just take it a uh, bit by bit. I mean, that's what you're going to do at work. So it's good practice to do that when you're trying to learn too. Yeah, that makes sense to me breaking it down to like the smallest possible step you can actually accomplish. And then I think people can do much more than they think. And when you do it little bit by bit, that's where you can do tweaking and stuff like, 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 let's say you're making a Twitter clone. We'll make it the style of, for instance, if Madison, if you were doing it, make it Madison's Twitter. Like, I don't know how, maybe I don't know what your style or your vibe is, you know, or whatever, like you, but you go, maybe you make different icons, maybe you make different animations, maybe you just wildly change the colors, you know, um, part of being, part of being a dev, a software engineer that I think can be a struggle for a lot of people is that uh, learning how to like, create safe environments to break things, to learn things, to tweak things is, is kind of important. Like when I'm building a new feature, like maybe a new piece of UI that has some interesting um, functionality, like often I'll just open a code sandbox and I'll make like the simplest prototype I can, you know, because then I can get rid of all the other state elements or, um, accoutrement that's coming from the rest of the application that can be distracting or, you know, just get in the way of really focusing on what are the primary things I need to accomplish right now. So. Yeah, definitely. That kind of reminds me of advice you've given me a while ago. Um, I think it was a few years ago, but I was telling you that I, I really wanted to grow as a developer. And I was just like, what could your advice be? And you, you kind of told me just you know, build things, but make sure you're building things that are challenging and fun too. you know, have fun with it as well. Absolutely. I mean, whenever I have a little time off or something like I, I'm, I, I'll build something so silly, but it makes me happy. Like, you know, it doesn't matter that no one else is going to use it. Like I was joking with some friends last night about uh, some of the data viz tweets I've been making lately about uh, my golf stats and like no one in the world cares about my golf stats, but me, but you know, it's fun to sit there and be like, okay, how do I, 
how do I create the algorithm to uh, organize this data in a useful way? I mean, that's stuff I do at work sometimes. Like it's just different rather than being silly golf shots that I make. It might be someone's business transactions or whatever I'm working on for someone, you know, like there it's the same process. Yeah. I think that's great advice because I know some people will message me and they're just like, what should I build to get a job? And I think that can be helpful to think about, you know, what could be on your portfolio that could help you stand out, but then they have this very, um, kind of, they're kind of bogged down or upset about, ugh, like, what should I build? And I love kind of turning that around and saying like, what actually sounds really fun for you to build? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you really excited about building? Because then you're actually going to get it done anyways. Yep. I agree. It's a good one. Um, so we've kind of already talked about this, but what other advice do you have for people who are, you know, teaching themselves to code and kind of want to follow in your footsteps? Well, I, I think the very first thing I would tell them is, uh, the footsteps you see, aren't all the footsteps that are taken, you know, not to get all, all weird and stuff. Like no one carried me through the sand or anything. I'm not making like a, uh, an allusion to that metaphor, but it's, it's like, you're, you're not going to see everything that a person goes through. Like your, your heroes, your coding heroes, like, you know, they're not letting you see everything about what they're doing. So don't think because you're struggling that they haven't struggled or something like that. Like, I think that's, that's first and foremost, like literally everyone has, uh, you know, wanted to defenestrate their computer at some point like you know it's like chuck it out the window things aren't working right how you deal with that frustration is different person to person but it exists so so let's kind of start there this the second one and i say this a lot when i'm trying to give people advice is like look when i started it was so different than it is now i only knew like i knew a good amount of html i was pretty good at css i always have been it's just something that kind of clicks for my brain um, and I knew some jQuery. I can't even say I knew JavaScript because jQuery was so prevalent and such a crutch uh, for people. Like, you know, you, it was hard to write cross-browser compatible JavaScript in the day. So you wrote jQuery and jQuery just kind of became like synonymous with JavaScript at the time. And that's why like Stack Overflow is really difficult to search at times, you know? And, and so like my tool set was so much smaller than what you might need today to know. You might you know, you need to know a good amount of JavaScript. You need to know HTML. I don't know what you need to know about CSS. There's so many frameworks now. Like, I think you should know it, but like, who knows? Maybe maybe you don't need to know it so deeply. Uh, maybe you need to know a build tool now. Like, do you need to know at least what Webpack and Babel are doing? It depends on like what space you're going into, obviously. But, but my point being... Like the bar is higher. The bar has more stuff to it. So in response to that, you need to be kinder and more patient to yourself, right? Like, cause you can't look at someone like me and be like, well, he got a job in two months. Well, it was 2013 coding, like coding boot camps didn't exist. Like they were just coming about, like the market wasn't saturated with a bunch of people. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, there is a high demand for engineering jobs, but there's such a, a quick influx in the la of people starting, starting, starting. And it's going to take time for people to like work their way through and for companies to adjust to using the, the, the new 
uh, crop, I guess, of, of people who are getting into this career. So everyone's kind of at this weird thing where it's tougher than it ever was in some ways. It's easier to get the material than ever before. It's just this juxtaposition. So as silly of advice as it sounds, it's like be kind and patient to yourself because I think getting upset with where you are or how difficult things are, isn't going to help you stay persistent and, and eventually move forward. Like I do believe there's a place for everybody who wants to be in this uh, industry. Uh, I can't make it easier for everyone though. I wish it was as easy for everyone. I mean, that's getting into a conversation about like privilege and, and biases and access and stuff. But my point being like, I think you can do it. I, I believe in you. Uh, be kind to yourself as you do it. Absolutely. And your first point really resonates with me too, where we just see the highlights um, of other people's lives. And for me, it has been this habitual thought pattern where um, I used to look at other developers and I automatically think I'm 10 times worse uh, and that I need to work harder. Um, and I think a lot of us do that. I mean, I have a post on that too. I can share. It's called Headlight Vision. And I got the idea from Jason Langstorff. It's it's his metaphor uh, and I give him credit. But like essentially the way we tend to look at the world is like a car with headlights and all we can see is what's within our headlight like at night, like, right? Like you can't see the fact that there's there's literally hundreds of people who are left and right of you at the same point in the road. There's thousands of people behind you just starting their journey. All you see are like the two or three cars that are right dead in front of you. And if you're always looking at only them, you always feel behind, you know, and, and, yeah. and to be perfectly fair, there are people in this industry that make me feel that way too. Like I look at the output they have, I look at the, the Twitter lives they have, or like they're going to every conference or whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Like I struggle with too. So like you can be, a, you know, 10 years into coding and still, still not feel like you're where you want to be. I think the thing that's better to do, do is kind of recognize that that feeling may never go away, but how you respond to it can be a lot better. Like I don't have to feel guilty or like an imposter because, because I don't measure up to some, silly expectation that's unreasonable anyways. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about functional programming. Um, okay. have courses on functional programming. Um, and I know people who are listening, some are probably familiar with it, uh, but for those who aren't, could you give an introduction and talk about uh, why you like it? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you're referring to my egghead course, uh, just enough functional programming. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of a play on the mostly adequate guide to functional programming done by Brian Lonsdorf, uh, which is an excellent resource for people who are interested in learning a bit more about it. Uh, functional programming to me is, uh, as, I mean, the, maybe the best way to describe it is in, in opposition to object-oriented programming. And object-oriented programming, uh, all your entities in your application are objects. Those objects have methods. Methods are just functions on an object. And, and the way your program is built up is through kind of a hierarchical um, hierarchy of objects and classes that like extend one another. And, and this is uh, how we build up complexity. You know, you see classic examples of like 
you might have an animal class that you extend to be a cat class and cats have certain properties and dogs have different properties and that kind of thing. Functional programming and opposition is kind of uh, everything is a function. I mean, you can go so far as like uh, Booleans are functions, right? Um, and I, my course doesn't go that deep. In fact, the whole point is to kind of avoid as much vernacular as possible. I don't want people to hear like endofunctors or monoids or monads and get scared. Uh, really to me, it's about breaking things down into like uh, these atomic units of fu functionality and learning to compose them together to build complexity. Um, uh, I think it's particularly really useful for front-end developers to use this approach for uh, data manipulation. Um, like what we do as front-end developers typically is we get uh, a, a blob of, of JSON data and we need to output that as typically arrays and objects in some way. So learning to make uh, uh, good transformations from one data set to another is an excellent skill set to develop. And functional programming does this really well because the whole point is to avoid side effects. If you take the course, you'll learn what those are and, and why, why you want to avoid them. But it, it, it makes the whole process essentially a pipeline. In fact, that's why you hear of like pipeline operators or a pipe function to compose functions. And, and what you do is you take your input and you just set up all your nice little functions in, in a row and you get your output. And it's so easy to test because you, you, net, you always get the same result from the same inputs always give you the same outputs. And so you just get to have a high level of confidence with your programming. Um, that maybe wasn't a short enough definition, but that's the one I got. <laughs> that's great. So for someone who isn't really um, up to date on functional, or I guess for someone who doesn't really know functional programming yet, and then they take your course um, what do you, what do you suggest they do afterwards? Like what could a next step be after taking your course and they feel like they get some really solid knowledge on it? Where should they go next? Sure. Uh, I think there are a couple options. Um, the book I mentioned, the mostly adequate guide goes a little further than I do. So they could start to learn about, uh, things like, uh, functors, monads and applicatives and, and stuff like that, uh, which might, you know, push them to go learn something like, uh, Haskell or Scala. Um, these are, uh, purely functional languages. Um, there are some like on the front end that are kind of nice. Um, like I'm thinking of like, you could dabble with pure script. Uh, uh, I'm interested personally in Rescript, which is a, a, a rebrand of ReasonML for those who uh, know of that language. Um, I think there's options like that. There's certainly material out there that goes deeper into the topic than I do. I tried to make it very approachable to front-end JavaScript developers. And, and as I said, like, uh, the primary way I've used it is, is making data transformations because that's what we do in our apps a lot. And, and that's the place that really um, shines for being able to have um, uh, pure functions that are simple and easy to understand. So uh, I think that's where I would start. Um, yeah. I mean, Google's your friend, you <laughs> probably find a lot of things. So. For someone who is listening and might not know, what is a data transformation? 
Oh, I, I think of, so I think of functions is typically being in two categories. I actually, gosh, I, I think I made a tweet like two years ago where I drew some pictures of it. Uh, a function can be like a trigger, like uh, within that function body, like maybe you have side effects that are going to get sent off. Like, like you call this function to really call your, I, a logger would be a great side effect idea. Like, like, uh, you know, you need to log that the user made an error here, or like maybe it's a, uh, some analytics thing. That's a trigger, right? Um, or, or like the other one would be like a transformer. So for me, it would be like, uh, like a very simple one would be uh, like math, math functions. Think of like, like maybe you have a, a squaring function. Like you take any number and you return it's square. That's really rudimentary. Why would you do that? I get it. I get it. But the idea being like the input you put in goes through uh, an algorithm, however simple or complex that is, and it always comes out the other side, the output as this as that particular value. And in a square, like if I give it two, I'll always get four, three, nine, four, sixteen. Right? Like your transformations are probably going to look more like. I got this blob of JSON. Maybe it's a, an array of items, but really what my front end need isn't just these items, but it needs to have correlated data from another set. Maybe it's related, uh, some other related items. So you want to put it, these two things through a transformation and output on the other side, a new array, maybe it's sorted, maybe it's filtered, maybe it's uh, mapped in some way. So these, uh, these methods that you typically see on like the array prototype in JavaScript. Well, uh, with my functional programming course, you actually learn how to make um, functions that kind of change the order of arguments so that you can reuse them. Like you can make um, you can make a function that'll map over any data set and do this particular transformation. Maybe it's a maybe it's stupid. I had some dumb ones that were like screen case, like take any string, put it into screen case. I'm sorry. I only have my rudimentary like ideas. Uh, but like I can reuse that function now by passing it any data set of strings. And that's kind of how functional programming is designed. It's like, it's rather than taking the set of strings and calling map and doing something on it. What you'd rather do is take a, a map function, map, a, a, a two screen case function, onto it and then give it the data and any data set it gets will come out the right way. So mm -hmm. yeah. it reverses the arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that for someone trying to get a job as a JavaScript developer, that it is pretty important that they at least know some functional programming, like kind of today? Uh, to be frank, probably no. Um, I don't think it's like what you need on day one, you know, or whatnot. I think it's the kind of thing that'll like, you'll, you'll, you know, you might benefit from learning probably year two or three. Um, and the reason being like, when you're first starting out, like it's perfectly okay to write code that you hate in just two months. Like, cause you're going to learn at such a rapid rate that you're like, Oh, well, that was a really bad way to do that. Like, but I know better now and that's fine. Um, there's also the challenge of this, like while functional programming is something I enjoy and I teach because I do think it's useful knowledge to have. I think it helps you think better about programs, like teaching your mind how to think well 
uh, like, or algorithmically that we might get into later uh, about my other courses. Um, like I think has benefits that are beyond just like, what can I build with it today? I, I think they really just train your brain to think in a better pattern. And, and so, no, I, I don't think someone needs it today. Uh, I might, it might even be too confusing. Like we learn about currying in functional programming, which is the act of taking a function that normally takes multiple arguments and splitting them up. So it only takes one argument at a time, each time returning a new function that takes the next argument. Like that's just like, even just me trying to say that to you, like, I know that's going to confuse listeners. Like you have to see it and do it to yeah. like, oh, 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 like the light bulb will go on and it'll make sense. But I think, no, I, you know, anyone listening, you don't need to learn it right away. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't need to learn it all right away. You see these like developer roadmaps and it's like, here's 110 things you need to learn to become a developer today. And it's like, you do need to know a lot, but you don't really need to know all of those things. It's yeah. Really overwhelming. <laughs> you should defenestrate those roadmaps just like your laptop. So Absolutely. Uh, you touched a little bit um, on this, but you also have this really great data structures and algorithms course. I really appreciated it because some of these topics can be really hard. And I liked that you um, broke these things down in a way that I felt like I understood. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about um, when we talk about data structures and algorithms. Um, I think the first thing I want to ask you is like, why did you decide to start teaching yourself data structures and algorithms? Um, and how did you do that? And this is kind of like a debate in the industry too, about how um, important is it to really know data structures and algorithms, because you might not use them in your day-to-day front-end job. Um, sure. I said a lot there, but I'd love to start out with just, yeah, why did you first start teaching yourself data structures and algorithms? Uh, yeah. So um this is a good question and I, I can go in a lot of directions on it. So uh, my apologies, this will not be short. Um, <laughs> I kind of got started because I probably hit the same wall. A lot of people hit uh, where I was trying to make a shift in my career from being like a purely HTML and CSS oriented front end developer to a more JavaScript oriented one. And I was starting to get closer to being like a senior engineer. And uh, I would get in these interviews and, uh, you know, I'd get my ass handed to me. And so then I realized, okay, there's a whole lot to this programming that I didn't know. Like I understood the idea of like, I have a problem. I'm going to use these tools to solve it. But, you know, I didn't really have a, a solid foundation of, of, already tried and tested ways of doing certain problem solving, excuse me. Um, and lucky enough, shout out again to Brian. Uh, Brian Holt had a course on front end masters called uh, four semesters of computer science in six hours, I believe is the name. And he's done a part two in the past too. Uh, I never took that one. So I can't really say much about it. But his first one was like my first introduction to the topic. And it just kind of really wet my whistle because I, um, I'm someone who like in undergrad, my, my, I double majored in philosophy and mathematics. So thinking about things conceptually and analytically, like is pretty natural to me. It's something uh, I've always enjoyed. And I, I, I've always enjoyed 
trying to take those things and break them down into uh, these really fundamental concepts that I think are like essentially building blocks to better understanding the things. So I took that course. And then of course, you know, uh, I have cracking the coding interview. I don't have it in this room. I have it in another room. And just like everyone else, I, I do have like four algorithm books behind me on my to be read pile and stuff. It's just kind of fascinating. But my point being, I took that course. And then over time, I realized like, I think I have a genuinely good way of explaining these things that isn't intimidating that can make it uh, accessible to a lot of people. And in fact, I think it's proven itself. That linked list uh, lesson I made has probably made me half the money I've ever made on Egghead because of how many people need to learn about linked lists just to get through an interview like you were talking about, right? Because um, you're right. Uh, I think I've used a single linked list in my entire time programming. And it was because I had a very particular uh, like problem where, well, what I needed was really fast access to the next item. Um, and when you have a next property on a linked list, uh, item, like, Hey, that's really easy. Um, as for should people learn these or like, what do they need to know? Because they might not do it in their day job. Um, I will say this, like it is, it is really unfortunate that interviewing maybe doesn't match up well with what you will do day in and day out. Uh, like you might not be writing um, a sorting algorithm, for example, in your day-to-day -day work, but understanding the concepts of like, how do you write a recursive algorithm? How do you think about, um, property access in an object versus an array or versus like, how do you filter? And like getting this foundational knowledge can only help. Like it can't hurt. Like it'll make you better. Like it absolutely will. Will it be a joy to learn? I don't know. That's really up to the individual, but it won't hurt you. Like getting angry that about interviewing is different from getting angry about, uh, gaining this knowledge. Like one thing that uh, I do all the time and front end developers should know is, is like reading a property off an object is so much faster than finding that same object in an array, right? So learning how to transform an array into an object that's uh, like maybe the keys or the ID of the item like that lookup is constant time in, in big O notation, which is a computer science way of describing the worst case slowness of, of something. Uh, it's a big O of one. It's constant time. It's as fast as the machine can read the property versus like trying to find the same item in the array. It's a big O of N and being the amount of items in that array. Like just knowing that like, shoot, you can make, you can make phenomenally faster programs with that, you know, and, and maybe that is, or isn't what you need to do at a time, but like you, how do you know that if you don't take any time to learn some of this? Um, so I don't know. Uh, I think you can be angry at interviews, uh, cause they suck. They do. And it's not just because algorithms, they're just tough, right? Like they're just tough. I've, I've bombed plenty of interviews in my life. And I, if I continue to interview, I'll probably bomb plenty more, but uh, I've been a, I've been a better developer for learning data structures and algorithms. And it, it shows up all the time.
Yeah. And I think you make a good point that there are some things like link lists that, yeah, maybe they won't show up or maybe they will show up quite rarely, but then there are a lot of these other things, uh, a lot of these other concepts that you will use um, in terms of like your app's performance Mm -hmm. uh, that I think people forget in the debate that they are quite, you know, you do use them in your job as a front end developer. I mean, just even getting a good grasp on something like recursion, like the number of times recursion is like the best way to solve something, especially if you're working in the web, uh, people forget like you're working with trees all the time. The Dom is a tree. Well, a tree is a graph. Like it sounds like that song, like, like a dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, like a, a tree and a log in a forest in the woods and blah, 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 blah. You know, my point being like, you're, you're interacting with these things. You just maybe don't know. Right. Like, so why not, why not get in the know a little bit and you can maybe improve some of the things you're doing a couple, like one of my last projects while I was working at Webflow involved a lot of tree traversal, like, um, because we're building websites for people out of these nodes and they have to look like the DOM. So they're shaped like the DOM. If I didn't know how to, uh, navigate a tree efficiently, uh, that would make the program work really poorly. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. but at the end of, but I'm still just a quote unquote front end developer, right? Like, so I don't know, not everyone needs to know that, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. And it's interesting how there is that debate of you're a front end developer, but you're, you know, having these technical interviews that you feel like aren't really, um, what you'll be doing in your job. Uh, I don't have any great solutions to fixing that. There are far <laughs> smarter people than me who have good ideas. So uh, maybe you need to invite them on your podcast. Next. <laughs> um, so you gave this really amazing talk um, called learning backwards, learning CS, learning computer science uh, through the lens of react. I absolutely love that. It's a, it's a long talk and it was really helpful <laughs> to me to just actually tying some of these things together, right? Like how are these things like using React? How is that even related to computer science? Um, and I know that it's a, it's a long, awesome talk or course. Um, I guess it's a mix and I'll definitely link to it. Uh, and this is kind of a big question, but can you talk a little bit maybe about, you know, some of the computer science that React can teach us? Sure. Uh, I gave this talk, I think in 2018, 2019, um, but I think it still applies because React itself hasn't um, changed so drastically in regards to like understanding like what I applied. But um, I feel like React uh, introduced people to a lot of things. In fact, one of them being trees. Like I think I even talk about that. Like you know, you're building up an application through components. Well, these components are architected in a tree structure and when you understand that you get to have a better understanding of like, just how does your app work in general? How does data flow through it? Like you're getting introduced to all these things without being lambasted in the face with like, you really need to know what this is. Right. So uh, I think one of the ones I talked about, if I remember correctly, was like memoization. Um, And nowadays I think a lot of people know about memoizing that you know, five, six years ago, very few people were talking about it. And this all comes from like React 
uh, is powerful, but it, it, it kind of puts the onus on you to optimize your app. It's pretty fast. For the most part, it's, 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 it's fast, but you can get into situations um, where you'll hear the phrase if you're in the React world of unnecessary renders. It's like this, it's like said, like, like, like it's almost like a taboo, like, oh my gosh, you allowed unnecessary renders in your app. What were you thinking? But, you know, the point being, um, we can learn a technique like memoizing, which is really just caching uh, information. It's a trade-off of space, storing the data uh, versus time, calculating the data again. And, and React uses memoization to not only like you can memoize a whole component using react.memo. I have a blog post on that. Um, but you can cache values within a hook or a component using use memo uh, to prevent those values from being recalculated for stabilizing them so that that hook doesn't trigger a new re-render of a component that's consuming it. So um, my point being uh, on its surface, you're, you can look at React and just be like, oh, I'm making my little functions and components and they work together and that's great. Uh, but if you really dive deep, you start to realize like, oh, these are all built upon uh, these foundational structures and information that uh, you can go as deep as you want. You can learn about algebraic effects and how, and how that's working within the React uh, lifecycle. And I can't really speak to that because honestly, that one's beyond me. But uh, the point being like, you can go as deep or as shallow as you want, but it's there. You can, you can learn CS uh, from React, just like, you know, some people could probably learn a lot of JavaScript from React. You know, like there's a lot of gatekeepers out there saying like, you need to learn JS first and it sure, sure won't hurt you, but I think it's okay to learn some React and then realize like, oh, I don't really understand what this is and go learn the JavaScript that uh, drives it and makes it work, so. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems, it's comforting to me when I start to realize that with something newer, like a new React hook, um, there is a kind of computer science fundamental underneath it because you start to kind of see the same patterns again and again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it feels a little bit less scary because you start to realize, okay, this is, um, you know, some fundamental thing like a tree. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you on the on the JavaScript thing too. And it's funny because the people who say learn JavaScript first and then go to React, that's impossible because I feel like I'm still learning JavaScript. Like, when are you going to stop and say, okay, I learned it. Now I'm going to the next yeah. thing. It's, that's a tricky line. <laughs> it's because they're related. Like... Uh... I could go on on this because this is something I'm really kind of passionate about right now, which is um, anyone who talks to me like in person will realize like I talk a lot about graphs like as a data structure because I've written a post about this too. <laughs> I feel so weird that I can just say like I've written a post about this, uh, about basically anything, but graphs are everywhere. And a graph is uh, for those who don't know, who might be listening and haven't learned this data structure, a graph is a network. You take a collection of items, uh, we call them nodes, and they are linked together through either links or edges or what they're called. And you've seen stuff like this. You'll see like points everywhere and lines connecting all the points. The way you think your brain itself is a graph, literally a neural network, right? So when you have ideas, 
when you're learning something, you don't learn like every course out there in the world is like step by step by step. When really, while it's linear, all the things you're learning about are graphical and it's around it, right? Like the concepts that are related. And when you're talking about JavaScript and React, they're really like, they're two networks that are enmeshed. Like React is a subset network within the larger network of JavaScript. So you will always be learning both. There is no stop to, uh, I've learned all of JavaScript. Now I can learn the subset of React. That's silly. Like they're, the nodes are shared. They're interwoven. Um, they're inextricable. Like that's okay. Get over the bullshit that, that you know, you need to learn X amount of this before you can do Y amount of that. Recognize that these are actually related and you'll be learning both at the same time. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say it's uh, not turtles all the way down, graphs all the way down. Yeah, it is <laughs> graphs all the way down. They're everywhere. <laughs> so I want to ask you more about um, teaching. Um, you're such an awesome teacher. And I think, again, there are some hard, intimidating concepts that I think you make really understandable um, and less scary. And I want to ask you, I know there's probably a lot of people listening who want to get started with teaching. Um, yeah. How do you think they should get started? Or I know a lot of people are kind of afraid because they feel too new to teach. I mean, you might be too new to teach. That's okay. Don't make it uh, scare you off from ever teaching, right? Like, you know, uh, like a baby's not going to teach an adult how to run. That's fine. But that, yeah. that child will one day run and maybe be a better runner than this person. That was a weird metaphor, but it's what I could come up with. <laughs> um <laughs> So to, so to get started, I think the reason I'm a good teacher is because uh, I heard a saying a long time ago that kind of really resonated with me and drives the way I think about breaking down concepts, which is um, genius is not someone who can take the simple and make it very complex. Although that is interesting. There are when you learn nuances and complexities about a lot of things, that's a side note, but someone who can take the complex and make it very simple. And so I try really hard when I'm learning something, when I'm approaching a new subject, a new topic or any new thing, I'm not trying to learn just like, how uh, do I get it done? There are times for that, but I'm, I'm fundamentally like, what is the, like, I guess the, for lack of a better word, the essence, what is the concept that that undergirds this thing. And when I get that, when I get that, like, it's just so easy. I don't know. Maybe I'm very lucky. I probably am to be able to go from the concept to building it out back to the, to the practical application of it. Um, and that's kind of how I approach it. Like, like my data structure and algorithms course, for instance, like I did it with just factory functions, even though a lot of people hated it. Uh, cause they, they just, where are my classes? Uh, because I didn't want to get lost in classes and anything related to that. I wanted to show you, like, you have this thing, it returns an object. This object has data and methods on, it. and like you, you just like, you build it little piece by piece until you get to the end. Now, as far as like teaching this to other people, you have any, any number of modalities to do it right now, right? Like 
you can write blog posts. You can start a YouTube channel. You can make TikTok videos like Scott Hanselman and others, right? Like um, whatever floats your boat right now. For me, uh, I do a lot of blog posts because it's uh, very low pressure. Like I am not a, on a schedule. I never have been. I write when I feel like writing and I write about what I want to write. Like I don't, I don't really worry about like what's going to get great SEO, what's going to get a lot of traction. Like if you're doing all that, like, I don't know, that, that can be your jam. It's not my jam. I'm not going to gatekeep and tell you how you should do it, but um, it's not my jam. I just write when I want to. As far as like making the video courses, some of that's been a little luck. That kind of started from um, in 2017, 2018, somewhere around there, I was Twitch streaming, which I... Uh, looking back through the lens of like, like psychoanalyzing it, I was doing it because I was like lonely and trying to find some socialness to coding, honestly, like, and then people yeah. were like, well, you're teaching React on that. Why don't you just do it for Egghead? And so at the time I switched to making some courses for Egghead and, uh, you know, I did that for a while. And when it comes to courses, specifically that, like trying to do it, like uh, I would say, uh, it's overwhelming to try and come up with the full course, uh, just like programming, break it down into pieces. Like, uh, I hate making outlines. It's not my jam, but like, it works. It works. Like I, I often joke, like I'm allergic to calendars and all forms of like bureaucratic productivity tools, but, uh, they work like write an outline, figure out what pieces you're missing and then just like, I don't know, make a board or something, whatever works for you, a to-do list and just slowly and steadily knock out the videos, knock out the lessons. Like you can do it. It just takes the patience and persistence to get it done. So. Definitely. Do you feel like when you learn something new, is it more helpful to you to build something with that or to teach it? Or I mean, maybe that's both. <laughs> Uh, I would say I like to build first. Uh, I have a whole bunch of side projects on my machine over the years that like no one will ever see. They, <laughs> they exist in private repos. They're embarrassing. They're half done. They're half baked. Uh, but that's okay because what you're like, I don't think the lessons of like learning a particular technology or learning uh, maybe a library or something. I don't think those require completion. Like those are different lessons. Like if, if what you really want to learn is how to make uh, a production ready app that uh, has users and, and what you really want to learn is like how to satisfy customers or how to market a product. It like those more businessy entrepreneurial things, like you're going to have to get something done sometime. That's the only way you're going to learn those lessons is like to put something out there. But so for me, I go build things. I, I build a lot of the same thing over and over. In fact, that's probably really great advice for people is like, if they have a little pet project, they like, it could even be a to-do app. Like that's fine. Like find something that you can build pretty quickly and then just like when you want to learn something new, build that same thing with the new thing. Like a good example could be state machines. Like I have a course on those. Uh, I think they're really great. Uh, they can be intimidating. What if you have your to-do app, for example, and, and, and rather than using like a reducer pattern or Redux, like you swap out 
that part for state machines. And that's how you learn that thing. It's easy for you to recognize like, oh, the whole thing's working again because you're familiar with it. You don't get distracted by parts that are unfamiliar to you. And you get to really focus on the little thing that you're trying to learn and build. And then now you have another example of it, like, and, and go do it again. Um, maybe you want to learn, I'm all on state management in my head now. Maybe you want to learn like recoil from React or a similar one like Jotai. Uh, like, so you go learn that. Um, I don't know. That's what I would say. Yeah, definitely. Kyle, is there anything I missed or anything else you want to add? Everything. No, uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I, I guess I would just say, keep checking out my blog. Like I, I write probably two, two to three articles a month. Um, they typically are about some form of JavaScript react or some kind of, um, overarching software engineering like theme like a big one i wrote about recently that got a lot of traction that uh, i'm really proud of is my use encapsulation post um it it talks about how to think about using react hooks um specifically with the idea in mind that the react primitive hooks typically are, are grouped together like you if you have a state hook like use state or use reducer you will have state uh, updaters, like callbacks and functions that will update that state. Those should really be grouped together and put into a custom hook, in my opinion. And this is done to not only group um, uh, grouped code together, uh, but also to focus on keeping your components declarative. I think that article goes through a lot of things. It's something I'm proud of. Um, uh, and I'm hoping to maybe give a talk on it sometime this year, just to, cool. to kind of push it further. Very cool. I haven't read that one, so I'll check it out. Um, and I'll definitely make sure to share a link to that as well. Um, Kyle, could you give the name of your blog and your Twitter and anywhere else? Someone yeah. who doesn't wants to find you. Sure. Uh, my blog is kyleshevlin.com. That's S-H-E-V-L-I-N. Um, and that's also my handle on Twitter, Kyle Shevlin. Uh, I got lucky. I'm, I'm like the top Google search for my name. So, you know, uh, I guess great. that helps when you write a lot. So, yeah, Kyle, thanks so much for joining me. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Madison. Really appreciate it.